Let's do that hockey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 114 of Dauber Prospects Radio. This episode is going to be focused on the Edmonton Oilers top prospects. And I'm very excited for the guest I have on today. Uh, Before I get into that, I just kind of want to touch on a little subject here and let everyone know if they somehow managed to have missed it. But the Dauber Hockey Midseason Fantasy Guide uh, came out just recently and it is a very, very resource, good resource, good tool if you're fantasy league, if you're thinking about loading up for a playoff run, if you're thinking about bailing out, uh, either way, it, it's chock full of all kinds of, of great insight. You're getting trade offers now for you know teams that you want to load up for. And you're looking at your magazines and your preseason draft lists, and you've got those forecasts, but they might be a little bit outdated. Players might be doing better than expected or worse than expected, trending in the right or wrong direction. And that's the information that you need to know. The Dauber Midseason Guide uh, will give you all of the information you need to clinch that championship for your fantasy league. So hop on to DauberHockey.com or Dauber Prospects and click on the shop button. And it is pretty straightforward from there. All right, so moving on to this episode, number 114. Right now, I'm very, very happy to welcome to the show uh, Low Tide. You know him from his long-running blog, Low Tide, and he is a contributor to The Athletic, and he is also uh, on TSN 1260 um, uh, weekdays at at 10 to noon, talking about all things hockey. Uh, welcome to the show, Al. It is super amazing to have you on. I really appreciate you uh, giving me the time for tonight's show. Well, I'm, gl- I'm delighted to be here. You're far younger than you look. So other than that, I have no reason to resent you. Uh, so, <laughs> Well, I don't do a, a video podcast, a, a vlog, because I got a face for radio. So I appreciate the uh, the kind words. I got a bit of gray in the beard there that, you know, people just have to take our word for it. I got a black and white screen, so I didn't see that. So. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Al. So we're going to dive into uh, the Edmonton Oilers prospects. And before I start talking about specific players, uh, I kind of like to do an organizational overview. Um, so the Oilers are coming out of uh, a rebuild and they have the two, arguably the two best players in hockey right now, going with Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, they have a good supporting cast. You know, you got Darnell Nurse uh, anchoring the blue line. Um, Ken Holland has uh, allowed a little bit of change up on the roster from last season to this. He let a couple of veteran players and uh, contrast expire, creating some roster space for some of his prospects to, to graduate. Um so this is a team that right now is in a win now window and they're not winning. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of debate happening right now. I don't want to, you know, time date this episode, but um, if, if the Oilers are thinking about making the playoffs, uh, you know, as a, as a must for the season, they must make the playoffs and not missing them is unacceptable. Uh, they might have to trade some of the guys on this list that we're going to talk about or prospects uh, or do something even more outrageous, like sign Evander Kane to a, a short-term one-year contract kind of thing. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on on what you think the the state of the nation is in, in Oilers Nation. Well, you described, described it perfectly there. You know, on December 1st, 
the Oilers were, I think it was uh, 16-5-0. and They were 15-5-0 and for October and November, and they've been uh, 3-2-10-2 and since then. And on the 1st of December, their 5-on-5 goal differential was 49%, 48.9. And that was... That's the, the line in the sand. The Oilers have, have good uh, power play, good penalty kill, although not recently. But I think they can get those things back. Uh, but five on five was the problem, and they had it apparently licked. Now, it was only 20 games, and that's a small sample, so you, you have to be careful about that. From that point forward, they had injuries, they had COVID, they had uh, boats of, of real poor play. Uh, and, and those injuries forced a lot of players up the depth chart, and they weren't ready for it. The Oilers ran 11 defensemen in December, and many of them are rookies, flat-out rookies, first-time NHLers like Philip Broberg and uh, Marcus Niemelainen. So the, a lot of the the risks on the roster by Ken Holland, and everybody takes risks because of the cap, uh, came home to roost in one month. Now, we're, we're midway through January, and things haven't recovered, and this is uh, sort of driven into a, a desperate situation, which happens with teams that have lost over a long period of time. I, I think that the the most difficult thing to do for the Oilers is probably the right thing to do, and that's not overreact. They're they're in the middle of a of a uh, over correction in terms of shot share and goal share and uh, they call it PDO. They're they're on a bad run of PDO. They they ended up waving William Ligeson today who's played in some bad luck, and that, that happens with organizations that, that overreact. And so I think they've, they've done pretty well not overreacting. They have to win soon here because, they, as you said, they've got the two best players, in, or at least two of the best players in the National Hockey League, and they can't get out of their own way. I think there'll be a market correction. I think there'll be an improvement. I believe they'll win the – they'll, they'll make the, the playoffs, uh, although it's certainly less – certain than it was uh, at the beginning of December. But they've had some bad luck mixed with some poor play. And, of course, there are flaws in the roster, and, and uh, everybody knew that going in. Everything that could go wrong has go wrong, gone wrong. And for the Oilers fans, uh, they're used to seeing this, but it doesn't make it any easier. I'm hearing a lot of sentiment that they, they should not hit the panic button and trade a first-round pick or a top prospect uh, for a playoff push here. And – I agree with that on the contingency of the assumption that we're talking about them trading those assets for a rental player for a short win now window boost. Um, Seldom on the NHL trade deadline has that ever really paid off for the team that's, that's doing the buying and it often pays off for the team doing the selling. Um, I would, however, think that it would be a good idea for the Edmonton Oilers to entertain that notion if they were getting a player that wasn't a rental, a player that it was in his mid-20s, right in the same sort of age wheelhouse as the core of the team that had term left on his contract, you know, someone like a Jacob Chikrin or something like that, if they felt that they could get him, they could fit him into their cap and and their long-term cap as well, uh, and then he could help them here and now immediately, and uh, while they're their window is open as well with the uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl era. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I, I think uh, Chikrin is a great example of a player. The Oilers are, are, you know, they're trying to improve up the middle. And, uh, you know, Nurse and Duncan Keith are the left side defensemen. 
you you would be in I think pretty good shape if you had uh, Nurse Chikrin Keith on your left side depth chart in that order. Uh, Chikrin might take on more uh, difficult minutes than Nurse, but but you'd want to bring him in and get him comfortable before you ask that of him. But the the I think that kind of trade the Oilers would be open to. the 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 problem is price point, uh, and and you know I think it would cost more than just the first round pick to get him. And I don't I I don't know if the Oilers would be willing to trade, you know, like Broberg and a first round pick for Chikrin. And I don't know if there are other teams out there who would be willing to pay that price. But I, I think the Oilers are are in win now mode, but they're also aware that they are not loaded. In prospects, right? Well, they haven't traded a first-round pick away since 2006, so it's not like they've got a track record of of doing this for nothing. And you know, their their cupboard isn't bare. But you're right; it's it's not. I've been doing these rankings now. I've gone all the way through the New York Islanders alphabetically, and um, you know, Edmonton's not number one. They're not number two. They're not number three, four, or even five. Um, but they're not going to be 31st or 32nd either. Uh, so, so let's talk about some of these, these guys that we're, um, that we're going to look at. So for my top 10 ranking, uh, and you just gave me yours off air just before we, we started recording, and we don't have the same guy at number one. Um, we have the same top two, but we got him in, in flip-flop order. Uh, so that's a little bit interesting. Uh, I had Dylan Holloway ranked number one. And I like him because I think he's uh, he's a very dynamic player. He's got decent size at six feet, 200 pounds at 20 years old already. Uh, actually, sorry, he would be 18. Mm, no, 20. Yeah. 20. Sorry, I thought he was just drafted last year. My bad. Um, uh, so he's got good size uh, and he's got great hands. I really like his puck handling ability and his shooting ability. He's got really good uh creativity and vision he can be deceptive with his intentions with the puck which i think is essential uh and you know he plays a a little bit of a a tenacious game too where he pursues the puck hard and he's responsible defensively uh and he moves well too there there isn't too much about his game that i dislike and he doesn't have alexi kovalev skills not that kind of upside um but he's very talented. And I think, you know, he's a, he's a winger that could find his way onto, uh, you know, a top six pair, which gives him win or, or win option at center with either McDavid or, or Dreisaitl as his future center. So uh, I liked him at number one uh, and it, it wasn't that close for me, uh, but you've got Broberg at number one. So talk to me first about Holloway and what it is that you do or don't like about, uh, what he brings to the table. There's only one thing I, I don't like about Holloway. I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. If he had been healthy, he would have been number one on my list. The The injury that he suffered, though, required two surgeries, and and he still hasn't played yet. So I, 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 I nicked him because of the injury worry. And, and anytime you, you know, hand, wrist, anything associated with skill, you worry about, right? And if he comes back 100% healthy, uh, they said today uh, in a news conference that he's pretty close to going to Bakersfield. And and everything that we've heard has been encouraging. So from that point of view, you 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 know look forward to a a, a pretty substantial and dynamic player 
in Bakersfield. And the, the, the thing that really excites me about him is that his, his sophomore year at uh, Wisconsin, he had, a, he had a reasonable year as a, as a freshman. Right at the end of the year, he started scoring, and then he really pumped that up in year number two. He was a, 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 an impact, I would say, offensive player for the Badgers, and that's a pretty good division they play in. And so you, you, you got the feeling that you were looking at, I think the Otis had projected him maybe as a guy who was going to be a complimentary winger. Well, maybe he could be a little more than complimentary scoring winger. Maybe he could be a, a you know a, a center on a really good third line, or maybe he could be a, 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 a contributing player on a skill line. And so, with those numbers, he he just shot to the top, uh, and that's where he'd be. I think he's the most important player in the system. But I until I'd like to see him for twenty games before you know you can kind of crown him that because of the the injury worry which is which is real even even this late in the process what's the nature of his injury it's a, a wrist or a hand or something like that yeah it's it's a he, he had surgery march 29th and uh he also had surgery just at the beginning of training camp because it hadn't reacted well and and so he he, he basically um he got injured. He got slashed at the World Juniors, and uh, that that basically impacted the rest of his year in in uh, college. And then he hasn't really played since. And that's coming out of the World Juniors. And then he went to Wisconsin, and it's been a it's been a tough route for him here for basically the calendar year twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, we've seen top prospects miss a lot of time with injury before. Um, and it can really derail their career and their, their development. Um, like Connor Timmons with Colorado and now Arizona. Um, so at, at least he played last year, you know, he had COVID buggering up a lot of leagues, but he managed to get in you know, about 30 games last year, which, uh, which is a pretty regular season for a college kid. Uh, so it's not like he's missed more than this season and we're about halfway through the season. So hopefully he can come back soon and, and not miss too much critical development time. And he is 20. So it's not like he's in his teens anymore. So, you know, uh, hopefully that's not irreparable lost time damage that we're, we're looking at on this file. Yeah. And, and as long as his, it, it was, it was uh, uh, a very specific injury. Uh, part of his, his uh, uh, um, wrist that, that, the blood wasn't necessarily, you know, uh, it's a difficult injury to recover from because it doesn't, uh, if the blood doesn't get through the air, it's not, it's a small uh, area. And if it doesn't recover properly, then you're in, you're, you're in a little bit of trouble. Uh, and that's why they had the second surgery to make sure that it was working because the first one didn't like it, look like it was working well. All right. Well, let's hope everything breaks right for him. So the next ranked guy I had on my list and the first ranked guy on, on your list, Al, was Philip Broberg, the, uh, the big Swedish defender. Uh, talk to me about what you liked about him to put him at number one. Well, I like him because even though he's not the player I thought he was on draft day, he's a different style of player. I, I, I like what he brings. He's a far more um, together offensive player. He's got great speed. He can pass the puck well. He is 
excellent in the AHL at distributing the puck on the power play, and he can he can pass or or transport the puck uh, out of his own zone. So I I, I knew he was fast, and, and the scouting reports had him as a you know kind of a two way type, and they didn't know about the offense. Uh, having seen him in the AHL as much as I've seen him, and now in the NHL, I I would turn it around. I don't I don't think he's going to have any problem with the puck on a stick. He can move the puck quickly. Uh, he gets, he turns out of trouble very well. He's, 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 his first step is excellent. Uh, I think his offense, you know, he may never be on the power play, but he's going to be able to move the puck well, and he'll end up being a 20 to 30 point player. Defensively, his coverage and, and, you know, he's there, but he's not there. He's there uh, to make the play, but he's not as tight as you want him to be. And maybe that's the difference between, the SHL and the AHL, and he's learning it. But he, I think he's got to be a little tougher uh, without the puck in, in North America, and that's what he's learning right now. With the puck on his stick, yeah, he's already a, 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 a – I would say he could come up to the NHL and play with the puck on his stick pretty well. Yeah, I have a similar uh, feeling on this player too, where he is – my opinion of him going in front to his draft is has changed to where it is now as well. I was not a big fan of his going into the draft um, because while I thought that he could handle the, the offensive side, I was really worried about his defensive side. And I wasn't really sure that his decision-making ability was going to translate even offensively um, at the pro level or in, in North America. Uh, all I really liked about him was that he was, he was big and he could skate really well. And those are two very, very attractive qualities to start with. Um, so since his draft, he's shown to be uh, a better offensive player than I thought he would be. Uh, but I still have some concerns about his defensive decision-making. Um, I haven't seen as much of him as, as you have in the American Hockey League. I'm basically going off what I've read about him and other people's scouting reports, but it, it's kind of confirming what I was thinking in his draft year. So that's why I held him just a little bit behind because I don't think he's, he's going to translate to be a, a top pairing NHL defenseman, but I do think that he can play in the NHL. Uh, so there's obviously good value in that. Uh, and I think he can play in a middle six role and a second power play unit, I think is, is kind of what you're looking at as an upside for this player. Is that kind of the same wheelhouse that you have him? Yeah, I would only add that that he, he's he's tracked almost identically to Oscar Kleppbaum, who who turned into a you know much better offensive player than was predicted or implied by his uh, Swedish Hockey League numbers. So, and I'm not saying he's going to be Oscar Kleppbaum because Kleppbaum I think had a, a 40 point season and and a, a, a big shot, but he he does seem to be. Uh, he he makes really good plays with the puck, and when defensemen do that, they they gather points. And I think he's going to be a, a, a he may end up being more expensive than than his actual value because of it. Because as you said, and, and I agree with you, I think defensively you're going to need to 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 partner him with somebody who's who's a little uh, better defensively than he is. But but. What I've been amazed by is how much he can do. Uh, he can he can see lanes. He can get the puck there. He can get the puck through. Uh, he's he's far more creative with the puck at the AHL level that I've seen 
than he was at, and I saw him at the Holinka here, and I saw him in, in uh, some Swedish games, and obviously I saw him at the World Juniors. But his the role he's playing in Bakersfield is really conducive to his style, which is moving the puck, passing the puck, and creating opportunities. Uh, defensively, I don't think he's I don't think he's going to be. Um, I don't think that'll be. Nobody will ever refer to him as a shutdown type. Put it that way. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, maybe Duncan Keith would make a good defensive partner for him in the short term here. All right. So the next guy on my list is uh, their 2021 first round pick, 22nd overall, Xavier Beauregard, uh, playing in the Quebec Major Junior League with Schwinnigan Cataracts. This kid has some eye popping stats. 24 games so far this season. He's got 22 goals and 42 assists. That's close to a goal a game and two point a game production. He's playing on a pretty stacked line with Oliver Nadu and Maverick Bork, both NHL drafted prospects. And that trio has been tearing up the queue as, as one does in that league. Uh, My only concern with him is that, he's got some physical maturing to do. He's only 172 pounds and six feet. So he's not short, but he's not very heavy or uh, I would say very strong. Uh, And defensively he is uh, he's inconsistent as, as well. Um, But you know, a lot of 18 year old skaters tend to be uh, defensively inconsistent, especially when they score as well as he does. It's pretty easy to focus just on that part of the game. Uh, so I have him ranked three. You've got him one lower at four. Uh, how do you like this player? I like him a lot, and I think he's in a really good spot with Edmonton, who need his player type. He's right-handed. He's got great vision, can pass the puck well. Uh, I think that he's got, you know, at least he's aware of the other end of the ice, which is a big advantage. I don't think he's ever going to be, uh, you know, Patrice Bergeron, but he he is um, he's a player that I think is coachable. I agree with you on the – it's not necessarily size. It's just strength. He gets knocked off the puck, you know, a little bit too much. Uh, but I, I like his passing. I like his shooting. I really like his instincts with the puck. And the only reason he is four instead of higher is that, that he's been at this level for some time. Uh, you know, he's been dominant in the queue. I think this is the third year he's been really, you know, uh, posting offense and, and I'm, I'm, you know, he's October birthday. So he'll be 20 coming up this, this fall in 2022. So I, I think you, I think sometimes when, when we look at players who are mature in the league and their eye popping numbers, we, we may credit it a little bit too much. He He's probably bored with the queue. And if they could put him in the AHL, it might be better for him in terms of development. But uh, I, I'm not going to call him a can't miss because I've seen a lot of things, but I will <laughs> say that I will say this that at, at some point I expect to see him on a skill line in Edmonton, and I wouldn't be at all surprised that he does very well. Yeah, I, I'm excited for him too. Ken Holland is a very good talent evaluator, so he obviously likes what he sees. You know, throw the kid in the gym for a summer and let him put on some. Like you don't need to be six foot four. 220 pounds right like look at uh alex Brinkett. there's there's plenty of players in the nhl who are in the five seven five nine range just as long as you're strong and you can endure the the physicality of the nhl uh, and protect the puck and yourself 
you'll be fine. You don't need to be tall. Um, you don't measure players with a tape measure, as they say. All right. So the next guy on your uh, list after Holloway was uh, uh, Ryan McQuad, and I had him at four on my list. Uh, so, so far, our top four are the same. We just don't have them in the same order, but uh, that's close enough for me. Uh, so Ryan McLeod is a brother of Mike McLeod, New Jersey Devils, uh, very kind of similar style, uh, and career path. They both played for Mississauga in the OHL. Uh, and he's, a he's a burner. He's got wheels. He can, he's got the speed. Um, he's got vision and playmaking ability and good hands. And what I like most about this player is he can put all of those tools together at the same time. You can see that when he's skating with the puck really fast, he's also surveying the ice and looking at what his options are uh, while maintaining excellent control, even if he's contested for possession of the puck. Um, And those are some of the abilities that I think are hardest to come by. Uh, and translate really well to the NHL. So I'm not suggesting that he's going to be Connor McDavid's superstar, but I think that he 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 will carve out a nice little NHL career here. Um, maybe not the most prolific offensive upside player. So if you're you know mining for your fantasy prospect roster, don't count on him being a 60 point player, but count on him making the NHL. Um, maybe a little bit not unlike Warren Fogle. Uh, I'd love to hear what your assessment on on him is, if you don't mind. Now, I, I I like him a lot, and I liked him. I saw him the first drafted in eighteen, I believe, and the first training camp he was at, he was so smart without the puck. He was uh, uh, in the right spot. He's playing center, and he was down low, intercepting pucks, even to the point where he's behind the net. And he, he's he's very fast. He, he on the orders, he really stands out on on the bottom six because they're 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 usually a plotting group and he's very fast and he's he's you know he's the kind of player who is the things that he has to learn are not overwhelming he has to spend more time in in the tougher areas as they say but that you can learn it's not like he, he, he he's not afraid he just needs to develop the ability to to instead of cheating for defense or or pursuing the puck, he needs to maybe find the quiet ice a little bit. And I, I think that that I think he I think he might end up giving more offensively as he gets older because he's he's his speed gives him so many opportunities in a way. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say he is, but in a way he reminds me just a little of Todd Marchant of the Oilers back 20 years ago. And, and because Marchant got a lot of opportunities offensively because of his defensive acumen and his speed. And, and McLeod's not going to score at a high enough rate to be considered a, a brilliant offensive player. But I think as he goes on in his career, he's going to get more opportunities simply because he is smart. And he, he's the, the things that he needs to develop are, are uh, they're all, you know, brain uh, um, items like go to the go to the front of the net instead of pursuing the puck and and uh, I, I I have been very impressed with him during this year at the NHL level and in the time that he was at the AHL as well he's dominant now in the AHL he he uh, 
can take the zone, the, the puck out of his own zone. He can enter the offensive zone. Uh, he can set up and he can make plays. And he's like, that's basically Taylor Hall in the NHL. Ryan McLeod is not going to be Taylor Hall in the NHL. But the fact that he can do that, along with what else he brings, two-way acumen, great speed, uh, makes me pretty excited for his future because it, for Oilers fans, it should make them excited because he's a second-round pick. And traditionally, anything outside the first round goes haywire for them. I, I like McLeod a lot. I think he's uh, maybe even a little bit underrated because of the difficult year that Edmonton's having. He is he's making a difference, and he's very young, and he's good. And I suspect that by the end of the year, people will be talking about him as the number three center of the future. So you think he could be getting like a like Todd Marchand getting a, a breakaway, say every other game? Oh yeah, yeah. No, will he, I, will I, he cash I, on I, any of those? Is the question. Well, I I, th- I would I think he can score twenty goals in an NHL season, and and I don't think there's a lot of people who do, but I do. And it's not because I think he's a like a, a Phil Kessel like shooter. He's not, but he gets so many chances, and he's 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 a he's very smart. Like I, I I've never met him, but I I know that young players who are able to do that at that age uh, are are just so far ahead of everybody else. Uh, he he, I think he has a great understanding of the game, a better understanding than than a lot of players his age have. Uh, because when when he's making plays and when he's when he's uh, scoring goals, uh, they're not they're 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 they have a tendency to be great passes from him or to him, and he's able to cash. And they often involve speed. So I think he's I think he's I have him at three. Uh, I I've had him lower than that, but I've just really been impressed with his offensive ability since he got back from Europe. Well, there's nothing more frustrating than a player who gets breakaway after breakaway after breakaway and just never never scores on them. So hopefully uh, he can cash on all these breakaways that we uh, were anticipating that he's going to get. All right, so we agree on our fifth-ranked player on both lists, and that would be Carter Savoy. So right now, this is perhaps one of the most polarizing players uh, in the Edmonton Oilers system. He's the boomer bust kind. So some scouts love him. They see the skill and they think, you know, he's a highly, highly talented player. He's got the ability to play in your top six. Other scouts watch him play and they think, you know, he doesn't have enough attention to defense. Maybe some concerns about skating. Not sure that he's going to be an NHL player. So you've got anything from top six winger to not an NHL player. Uh, I know that some teams had him on their do not draft list going into the draft. Uh, and the Edmonton Oilers snagged him in the fourth round with the hundredth pick overall in 2020. So just a little revisionist history here, <clears throat> his draft year, uh, he had a monster draft year playing in the AJHL. So not one of the higher uh, end leagues. He had 53 goals and 99 points in 54 games. Um, the last time I checked, that's very good. Then after his draft, he committed to the NCAA and he is playing at the University of Denver. In his first season, he led the team in scoring, was named the uh, NCHC All-Rookie Team, 13 goals in 24 games. Um, and he's off to a tremendous start this year uh, with, where is he, 18 games, 13 goals, 26 assists. 
So his assist totals are, are matching his goal totals, which I think is, is very important. So undersized player, five foot nine, one ninety two. not super diminutive, but you know, he's, his strength is in his game skating and defensive play are the knocks against him. I think he can overcome those. I don't think those are inherent flaws. You can teach a player to play defense and you can coach a player how to improve his skating uh, to the point where it's good enough to be in the NHL. So that's why I have him ranked at five, but the things you are harder to teach players, he has those already. Uh, So Al, what's your your take on, on Carter Savoy? I'm imagining it's kind of similar to where I'm thinking. Yeah, it is. I would add two things. Number one, you know, I, I think that it's, it's important to acknowledge that, that the things that scouts didn't like about him were there on his draft day. But there's too much. There's too much offense to to uh, turn away from him. And, and also, based on the reports, and I know that that uh, a, a lot of times this stuff is 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 kind of punched up by the by organizations when when it occurs. But uh, the the Denver staff have been very uh, complimentary about his attention to uh, nutrition and his adopting, you know, uh, uh, becoming a different player physically. And and a lot of players like Savoy. I mean, he, he he was a star in his own you know basic hometown in the AJHL, and things came very easily to him. Uh, very similar to Mike Comrie before he went to college. And, and I, I think that that when you leave home, uh, a lot of things are are new to you, and there are there might be opportunities to change training, change nutrition, and and he seems to have adapted very quickly to that. I'll also just add that that you know the goals that he scores are are pure. Like they're not. Uh, oh, it went in off his ass. They're they're he is a pure goal scorer, and and I think that that um, if he can come to the AHL, which I think he will uh, start in the AHL, and and find a way to touch the puck more uh, than say a Raphael Lavoie early in his AHL time. I think Savoy might might end up being a guy who doesn't spend a, a, a long period in the AHL. I'm a big fan of his. I think he's a super uh, shooter, and I and I based on those reports about him being maybe a little more mature than he was on draft day. I'm I'm very uh, positive about his his potential. Again, as I said with Borgo, I've seen some things, so you never you never absolutely uh, guarantee it but he's on a really, really good trend right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he's, he's trending in the right direction and you know, he's, he's leaning more towards the boom than the bust side uh, just from his play on, on the ice and um, and the reports that, that are coming back and the feedback on, on him as a person. Uh, so you mentioned, mentioned Lafriel Lavoie just a second ago. He conveniently happens to be the sixth ranked player on my list. Now, here's a player who was a pretty high draft pick just outside the first round in 2019. Uh, and a lot of people had him ranked in the first round, even as high as, as midway through the first round, if I memory serves. So he kind of slipped a little bit and, you know, he had a very good career in the queue, uh, good score, uh, played for Team Canada at the World Juniors in his um, draft plus one season. Uh, so, you know, Team Canada does their their scouting and they put him on the team. So obviously they they felt pretty confident that 
he was a, a good enough player to make that roster. He's big. He's six foot four, 196, and he's got a tremendous shot. His shot is really hard and it's really accurate and he gets it off really quickly. So, you know, he's a good sort of power forward type player. Um, so why do I have him so low and, and why do you not have him ranked? Uh, I'll let you answer your side. But for me, the reason why I don't have him ranked very high is because I think he's a little bit too inconsistent and a little bit too consistent in his uh, reluctance to play defense very well. Uh, I remember at the draft uh, when he was selected, I was talking to a scout about him and I said, are you, are you surprised that Lavoie uh, went as late as he did to Edmonton Oilers? And, and he looked at me and he said, no, man, I wouldn't have drafted him there or even probably at all. I said, really? Wow. That's, that's saying a lot. How come? And, uh, and he said, because he's, he's not good enough and he doesn't play defense and he, he he's very indifferent uh, to playing hockey and, you know, his, his effort and consistency levels are, are very alarming is what he said. And I, you know, Oh, okay. You watch a lot more hockey <laughs> than I do. I don't live in Quebec. And so I, I, I took that very seriously and, you know, any chance I got a, an opportunity to watch him, I, you know, at different points in the game, I could always see what he was talking about. At the same time, I could see things that would, you know, encourage you to draft him in the second round, like when he shoots the puck. Um, so I think I might have him a little high. I, you would agree with that. So you, so you didn't even rank him. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on, on Lavoie here. Yeah, I have. A, I did a top 20 for the Athletic in, in December, and I have him 13. The concerns I have is that, that you know, he, he has a really – he's got a great shot. Uh, and, and, and he's, he's going to score goals in pro hockey. But he, he still has some of the – the aspects of a junior player, he, he, he can move, he's, he can skate well, but, but he coasts a little bit. Uh, he, he, his shifts are not urgent. And, and uh, Jay, uh, Jay Woodcroft down in Bakersfield will coach that out of him. And he's played much better lately. And if that continues, then, then maybe all of this is, is for not, and maybe he's going to be that player. He, he is, He's a brilliant shooter, and and uh, Scott Wheeler at the Athletic wrote an article on him uh, about he called him the shot creation king, and he can change angles and and shoot it quickly, and and you can see you can see a player there, but I, I also see a guy who uh, could end up being you know a big scorer in the AHL, but not being a guy who is is necessarily given many opportunities in the NHL. The, the Oilers had a, a guy uh, they drafted in 1986 named Dan Curry, who played in the OHL, and, and he had big offensive seasons in the AHL, like monsters. And and yet, you know, he was behind some players at that time for Edmonton, and he wasn't able to get a break, and he didn't get acquired by another team. And so he spent most of his career in the minors, and, and part of it was his reputation as not being necessarily a player who who looked like he was making a great effort. And and Lavoie's a big guy; he skates well, but he often looks like he's not working, and I think that works against him. So I I, I would say that of the players on the Oilers list, he's he is both a guy who could play for a long time in the NHL and a guy who could play less than a hundred games. And, and there's risk there. 
and I, I don't know, I don't know if he's going to make it. Uh, I think that he'd be, he'd be he's, he's a righty shot, and he shoots a lot. And so if he's if he's averaging four or five shots a game in the AHL, they're going to have a look at him at some point during his entry deal. But he's inconsistent, and he's got to he's got to improve that, and and soon because this is his second year on his entry deal. Yeah, yeah, that kid you're talking about that couldn't crack the Oilers back in the '80s. I, I don't know, man. Were the Oilers any good back then? <laughs> I know. <laughs> when, I, when I say that, I go, you know, and I'm like, people, are, oh, he must not have been that good. Well, they at left wing they had uh, Craig. So he wasn't. Simpson. He wasn't a Hall of Famer, is what you're saying. Right. <laughs> well, they had, they had Craig Simpson, Esatikinen, Peter Klima, and Martin Jelena. Uh, one of the years he was trying to break in. So, like him not making the orders is is. That's not really a, a fair criticism. Yeah. <laughs> you also said Lavoie could be a uh, a prolific AHL scorer. He's got some work to do to show us that. You know, 10 points in 19 games as a rookie last year. Through 26 games this year, he's got six goals and, and 12 points. So not exactly lighting it up with, with any sort of consistency there. Yeah, he's been better lately, and I think he's going to be a streaky scorer. But he really like, – he has to come out of this year – I think if he plays 50 games, he's got to have more than 20 goals. Like he, it, it's go time for Lavoie. There's so many other kids coming, uh, and and he, he's got to be he's got to be an option for them soon. Yeah, he's 21, so the clock's he's not out of time, but you know, clock's ticking there. So the next player I have on my list is goaltender uh, Ilya. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. Konovalov. Yeah, that's right. Hey, I win a prize. So he's 23 years old. Uh, I I haven't really seen him play very much. He's coming out of out of the KHL, right? So I don't I don't see a lot of KHL hockey. I, I'm not smart enough to figure out how to stream that. Um, but he had some pretty good numbers over there. He's over here in in North America now. He uh, I think he got called up. But I don't think he's played in the NHL yet. Uh, I'd have to double check that. And you know his numbers look pretty good in the American Hockey League. He's uh, he's 23 years old, so I like goalies that are a little bit more refined um, because they can go in a lot of different directions in a short amount of time. Um, quite frankly, I'm just not very good at scouting goalies, so it came down to uh, either him or Stuart Skinner to make my list. Uh, give me the the four and one on on Konovalov. I had him just outside the top ten. I had him at 11. Uh, it, it's he's got a really strong resume. And, and that's really all we know. Uh, I've seen him in the AHL, and, and it took him a while to get used to it. He's more used to it now. He's not a big goaltender. If He's got a really good glove, and, and he's, he's in good position. I think he, I, think he could, uh, I think he could have an NHL career. I think he's with the right general manager because, uh, you know, Ken Holland has employed some, some somewhat undersized goaltenders uh, during his time in Detroit, for sure. Um, so uh, there's a player there, and if he doesn't succeed here, he'll go back to the KHL and be pretty dominant. His KHL save percentages were really strong, but I, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him at least get a year as a backup in the NHL with 20 plus games or so, because I, I he, he's going to have to overcome a lot. He's not a big man, but. If, if his KHL numbers are, are true and not just a reflection of the team that he played for, then then the Oilers might have something here. And if 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 
if they could if they could find a way to audition him this year and play him in a lot of games, which they're not doing because of, of COVID and they need a, a taxi squad goaltender, I, I think it would be really, really prudent of them to figure out what he is this year because they're going into a summer where they have to make some decisions. Skinner is part of that. Conovalov is a part of that. You know, Smith is a part of that. We'll see about Miko Koskinen. But all I know is his resume is strong. I'm not overly impressed with his AHL work, but that's not really fair because it's a completely different, you know, rink size and style of game. Uh, he's been better recently. I like him. I just don't know if he's going to make it. Yeah, I think for goalies particularly, the the difference between the NHL and the European sizes, that, that's where it's the most impactful is with the goalies is the angles change so much. Um, I mean, the, the quality of, of shooter competition in the American Hockey League and the KHL and even SHL and Liga are all very good. So it's not like he's getting a, a much better quality of competition shooting against him. But the uh, the size of the rink really, really can uh, be an adjustment. And some goalies, I don't think, do make the adjustment very well to it. Uh, so we'll see how things pan out in the Edmonton Oilers goalie situation. There's a couple other guys in, in goal that we'll talk about. Uh, but we'll circle back on on that position. So just to kind of recap my top 10, I went Dylan Holloway, Philip Broberg, Xavier Beauregard, Ryan McLeod, Carter Savoy, Raphael Lavoie, and now Ilya Konovalov. Uh, Al's top 10, low tides got Broberg, Holloway, McLeod, then Beauregard, then Savoie, and then uh, Oleg Petrov. And we're going to circle back on him in a minute too. Uh, but you've got seventh, you've got Samarukov. And that's who I've got at number eight. So let's talk about him right now. Here's a player that I watched play in the OHL here. And is he had a very sharp spike in his development curve where, you know, he went from being a, a good import player uh, to a really, really dominant um, all-round player. Uh, he played three seasons in the OHL. He had 20 and 34 points in his first two years. And then he had 10 goals and 35 assists in his final season with Guelph. And then in that playoff where they went on to win the Memorial Cup, he had 28 points in 24 games. Uh, he was just lights out. Every time he was on the ice, he just controlled the play, the pace of the play, uh, creating offense, running the, the power play. Uh, just shutting it down in his own zone. He was absolutely dominant. He has trended up so hard, so fast um, that myself and a lot of other prospect followers uh, really started to kind of scramble to own him in our fantasy leagues. Uh, so since he's turned pro, his development has sort of flatlined a little bit. As a rookie in the American Hockey League, he had 10 points in 47 games. Uh, he played last year on loan in the KHL and had eight points in 48 games. So not exactly lighting the lamp anymore. Uh, he was a plus 24, at least in the KHL last year. So he's come back to North America this year. Uh, and he's been good in the American Hockey League, but not great. Uh, and he's actually been recalled and he's got an NHL game under his belt now. So how has he looked this season, Al? And uh, why do you have him uh, ranked right around the same place that I do? You, you must be a fan as well. Yeah, I am. I, I like this player a lot. His his NHL debut 
was basically two shifts. He, he was too aggressive <laughs> on both. And then they benched him. I don't agree that they, sh- they should have played him at least a little bit. I think that's a, a, an extreme punishment for a young player. But I, I remain very positive about him. Here's, here's what I like about, and I never get his name right. People give me hell for it. Sam Arukov. Um, the, the thing I like about him is he's a rugged player. In fact, I would say he's, he's, he's a little bit of a mean spirited player. And, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. The the (laughs) orders need to have an edge and, and he can provide it. He's also, he's a big man. He's a, he's a good skater. Uh, he can play a gritty game. He'll block shots. Uh, he'll, he, he sometimes gets out of position a little bit to make a hit or to be aggressive, and they're going to have to iron that out a little bit. But he, he's exactly the kind of guy who ends up playing a decade or more in the NHL because he has everything. He can move the puck, too, and he can, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be a power play guy, but he can really shoot the puck, too. And so he has a nice range of skills, and what he needs to be good at, he is. He, he can cover well. He was plus 24 in the KHL. Uh, he had 38 goals, four and 14 against in the regular season over there. And that's a very fine league, but he's big, he's strong, he's mobile, he's rugged. And, and I'm, I'm disappointed they didn't get a good look at him, uh, this year because in the NHL, because I think they, they're, they're missing out. Uh, if you watch him play in, in, um, Bakersfield, he does, he does make mistakes. There's a little bit of chaos there. The, he and Nima Linen, who's another uh, defenseman down there, uh, the, the opponents are aware and watching for when they're on the ice. That's how physical he is. Uh, the AHL is a man's league, but they, they are, they're punishing hitters. And Samarikov, I think, has a big future. And I think he would be an Oiler favorite when he gets here. He's the kind of style. You know, the Oilers have had some of the greatest players have ever lived offensively. But Oiler fans love Lee Fogelin. And they love, you know, Chris Pronger. They love the, the 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 guys who play right at the edge, and then maybe sometimes, if necessary, go a little farther. And I, that's why I like Samarikov, and that's why I think if if he's given an opportunity, he'll be a favorite in Edmonton. Yeah, he's he can't run a power play because I don't think he's got the vision on the point to read and anticipate plays as well as you need to. Uh, and not as quickly as you need to at the NHL level. Um, but if he's not running the power play, if he's a if he's a shooting option for you, he could he could get some some power play minutes that way because he's got a howitzer of a shot. Like he can really put some heat on it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so the next guy we both have on our lists, uh, I have him at nine, and you have him at eight, is Tyler Tulio, Oshawa Generals. Uh, so tools. Uh, is a 2020 fifth round pick. So here's a, a good late round find by the Oilers. Uh, a little undersized, 5'11", 181. But I call him tools because he's got pretty good hands, pretty good vision. And he puts those two assets together to create a lot of offense. He's got 44 points in 30 games in the O, uh, 15 goals and 29 assists. Uh, so he's a very good playmaker. Uh, last year, sorry, last, last year, uh, his second season in the OHL, he was a point a game player, 27 goals and 39 assists. Um, so I really like his playmaking vision, his hands and his skills. 
Uh, last year, he played in Slovakia uh, and put up 13 points in 19 games. And he also is a little bit, a uh, little bit greasy, you know, for a guy that's not, uh, not blessed with uh, huge size, five uh, eleven, but he's one eighty one. So, like we were saying, you don't have to be. Uh, it's okay if you're not tall, so as long as you're you're strong and, and thick. And this guy's got it because he can uh, he can throw his weight around what weight he has, and he uses it to protect the puck a little well and, and get under the other team's skin a little bit. Uh, I think the Oilers got themselves a sleeper here with with tools. Uh, how do you like them? I, I feel the same way. I, I think he's the the i i have a couple of people who know skating really well and they love they talk about his edges and they love that he's he's in constant motion and he doesn't waste effort he's you know he's he's never he's always in motion uh so so when the puck is moving in whatever direction he's already moving so he can adapt more quickly and, and i i I think he does have skill and he's a really good passer. Uh, and I love his aggression. He's a very confident player. You, you, you have to notice him, even if you didn't know he was in the game and you didn't know who he was with, by the end of his first shift, you've noticed him. And, and, and as you say, greasy is a great word for him. I see him as being a guy, uh, who, who the Oilers will, will probably play in the, in the middle six if he arrives in the NHL. And I think he will. I, I think he's a, a a guy who will play a complementary offensive role, but I mean that in a positive way uh, because he has he can play with skill. I think that when he gets here, he'll end up playing with a pretty substantial center because he can play with them. He can pass. He reads plays well, uh, and and he's in constant motion and he turns over pucks too because he's aggressive. He's he's got a lot of range. I don't think he's ever gonna like box somebody or you know in the head or anything like that but i think he is a guy who uh, at some level will have an nhl career and if and if he if he delivers on a lot of his potential he's going to be on a skill line yeah you know I, i'm not gonna i don't want to compare him to todd marchand but he, he's got some similarities there and when todd marchand was uh i don't think anyone ever expected him to be one of the best players in the NHL when he was Tyler Tulio's age. So, you know, for some players, the development curve, um, it, it takes a long time for their, their progression and development curve to flatline. Like the older they get, the better they, they just keep getting. And, and maybe Tyler Tulio turns out to be one of those guys. I, I'm not saying that he's going to, but uh, you know, if you look back at what, Brad Marchand was when he was 19 years old. Uh, I would bet you it's probably pretty similar to what Tyler Tulio is doing right now. Yeah, I I think that's fair in terms of style. You never want to say that he's going to be, you know, scoring at that level because Marchand is has you know so is Zach Hyman. They far outlive their their uh, or outrun their their scouting report. But I will say this that I I think those kinds of players do need a coach who recognizes what they are. And, and that's going to be key for, for Tulio too. I think, you know, I don't know what Jay Woodcroft is going to be doing next year, but if he's in Bakersfield, I think Tulio will have a really good year. Nice. Okay. So we agree again on our 10th ranked player. Uh, so this is running out my top 10. I've got Tyler Benson. 
earlier we talked about players who sometimes have their uh, careers and their development derailed by injury. And it seems like Tyler Benson gets a pretty significant injury pretty much every year. So I think that might be what's, what's happening here. But if you think back to, you know, when he was um, coming up as a prospect in the WHL, uh, he was putting up some some pretty some pretty good numbers for the Vancouver Giants. Uh, point a game player, over point a game player, um, and then he seems like he's getting stuck as as a bit of a tweener. You know, he's 23 years old now. He's played uh, had a number of of cups of coffee at the NHL level. Uh, well, actually, two seasons, so 24 games. Um, and he's only got two points in those 24 games. So his production has, has really not happened at all at the NHL level. Um, but then you look at his American Hockey League stats and he's got 156 games played and 141 points. So he's got a bit of a Glenn Godden in-betweener sort of syndrome going on here. Prolific AHL score. Can't get it done at the NHL level. Uh, he's no longer waiver exempt so he's he's with the Oilers. I believe he's with up with the Oilers right now. Uh, 17 games this season, one assist. Uh, is this a, a tweener? Is this a guy that's a good AHL player and, and not an NHL player? Or are you holding out hope that the light bulb can go off for him yet and he can turn himself into a legitimate NHL regular? Well, I would say that, that you know, in tracking prospects over the last 20 years, and writing about it, uh, you know, he, he reminds me of a lot of players uh, the Oilers have had. Uh, Yanni Rita would be one where where they have talent and it's obvious, but they are not good enough to force their way into the lineup, uh, or at least they're not proven enough. And I'll, I'll give you an example with Benson. It's sort of like what I talked about with Dan Curry earlier. You, you know, your your top left winger is Hyman, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Warren Fogel, and then any number of guys uh, who would fill Brendan Perlini, uh, who would fill that bill. So Benson, if he does get into the lineup, it's in the bottom six, third line or fourth line. Benson has exceptional passing skill. He's an unusual winger. His skills are more uh, recognizable in centers, I guess. He doesn't have a great shot at all, and he doesn't shoot a lot. But as a passer... As a guy who can find lanes and and help you score goals that way, uh, Tyler Benson is really good, and, and I I think he could have a career. I don't know that it'll be here. The Oilers are not, uh, as an organization, exceptional at at deploying all of their young talent at, at the optimal level, and and I I say that with respect. I understand there are players ahead of him who are better, but the. The, the orders could right now, uh, right now they're running a, a, a fourth line that's basically a bunch of penalty killers, and they're getting killed at five on five. If the orders chose to, they could take McLeod and put him with Benson and Cooper Marodi, and that's all skill, and I understand that maybe it's too soft for some people, but I, I think that there are teams in the National Hockey League who use their fourth line as a young skill line and, and have success. If Benson ever gets a chance to play 20 games with a center with skill, I think he'll, I think he'll, he's got one point in 17 games. I think he'll have four or five points at the end of the 20 games that he was playing with a, a skill center. And and the more he plays with a skill center, I'm sure the more he'd be appreciated because he can get the puck 
through some really unusual spots and create some great offensive opportunities. Well, you know, there's been a, a lot of players in the history of, of hockey that have kind of found themselves in the situation that Tyler Benson's in, and they need something to break for them. And that can be anything from, you know, getting claimed on waivers uh, and going to another team and uh, getting an opportunity that, that they never got with their previous team. Uh, Martin St. Louis went through waivers. Steve Sullivan went through waivers. So there's, there's been some examples of that. Or, uh, you know, they, they say you don't lose your job to injury. Uh, but if the Oilers had a, a very significant long-term injury to one of their top six players <clears throat> that opened up a, a window of opportunity for someone to, to move up a little bit on the depth chart, that could be an opportunity for a player to seize the day. Um, and prove that he belongs in the top six and, and make it so that he can't go back down. Yeah, and they like him. I, I want to be clear there. They're 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 sort of uh, uh, turning or trying to turn him into a a more uh, a gritty uh, physical player. But they like him. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know that he'll make it as an Oiler because of the way their team lines up. But there's a lot there. There's a player there. I think he could have an NHL career. And and. You know, if they do get close to the playoffs uh, or by the deadline, they're in a playoff spot. I would not at all be surprised if Benson ends up uh, being traded to a team like, say, Seattle, where he might get a little bit more opportunity. And and if he does and a skill center is on his line, don't be surprised if, if he there's a pulse there. So you're saying, though, if you own Tyler Benson in your fantasy league, don't pull the plug yet. Yes, it hasn't been good. You haven't been rewarded for holding on to him for this long, but just wait a little bit longer. You don't want to get burned. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that, that you know, by this time next year, you should know your answer. Put it that way. Yeah, fair enough. I, uh, I'm i pulling the plug on a couple of, of players I own in my fantasy leagues. Guys like Glenn Godden, I think. I've, I've just, I've seen enough. I've waited long enough. I, I don't think it's ever going to happen for him. Uh, but that's a that's a story for another podcast. So there's two more players that made your top 10 I really want to hit on here. Uh, I keep wanting to call him Oleg Petrov, but uh, it's it's Matt V. Petrov. Uh, and he plays in the OHL for the North Bay Battalion. And he is the Oilers' top-scoring prospect, as a matter of fact, with 55 points in 34 games for the Battalion so far this season. Uh, I've seen him a couple times. I think he's lights out good with the skill. Uh, he didn't make my top 10, but he made yours uh, quite firmly at six. So tell me why uh, why you got him on your list, man. Well, I, you know, he is a volume shooter, and he is a first-shot scorer. He, I think in his first 22 games, he had 73 shots. Uh, he had uh, 12 goals at even strength in the first 22 games. And, and I always uh, – the OHL is the best – if you've got a, a, a teenage male who plays hockey and you can get him in the OHL and he can excel, that's a really good indicator of future success. It's a great league. It's the world's best junior hockey league. And for him to be able to do, remember when I talked about Bargo and, and this being like several years now that he's been good and now dominant in the Quebec junior league, uh, Petrov's the opposite. Uh, you know, he, he's basically coming into a new league, a new situation, and shooting lights out. So the the key element for me about Petrov is that the Oilers signed their sixth-round pick, Petrov, before they signed Borgo. And I find it fascinating that they did, but I think they 
he he did not have uh, the kind of year he was drafted. I think number one in the uh, uh, the uh, import draft, and then he, the the year went away, of course, with COVID. And maybe people forgot about him a little bit. But this guy, scoring as he has, uh, to me, I think Wada fans should be very excited about him. I will tell you, I don't know who's going to emerge among Savoy, uh, Petrov, Borgo. I I, uh, I don't know, but I think those three guys give Oilers fans a lot of hope for the future because all of them are good to great offensive players at their level. And I have a kind of a rule, and that's if you've got three guys who are pushing up as prospects, you, you one of them will cash. The other two you don't know. Chances are not all three will. But if you've got three guys, that give, that puts you in a really good spot. And I think the Oilers have three guys. Yeah, I mean... This is another good hidden gem by the Oilers. He's a sixth round pick in the 2021 draft. Uh, I wonder if the Russian factor played a role in him falling down the draft a little bit and with the Oilers rushing to sign him the way they did uh, to prevent him from signing a long-term KHL contract, you know, sign him, bring him over, let him play in, uh, in the O, let him dominate there. Uh, and then they'll, we'll see him in the American Hockey League uh next year i think uh he can come because he played he was drafted out of out of russia out of the nhl so he should be able to turn pro next year once he's uh once he's 19 and play in the american hockey league if if i have my rules correct um okay so that's a good scouting report on on petrov thanks and now let's i said we're going to circle back on goaltenders so let's do that the other player you had in your top 10 that i didn't uh is Stuart skinner and then you've also got uh, Olivier Rodrigue as another goaltending prospect option. So there's there's three goalies, Konovalov, Skinner, and um, and Rodrigue. So we picked different ones, and we both left Rodrigue off. Uh, so just kind of speak to me a little bit about why you gave Skinner the edge there, and uh, maybe why Rodrigue isn't on your in your on your list. Skinner is is an interesting case because mm-hmm. he had a he had a really nice run. He was in, the, in junior, he took a, a team that wasn't a great team, but he, he led them uh, to the Memorial Cup. And it didn't, they didn't win, but he was in the, the tournament. And they won the WHL championship. He'd been traded over. And then it, it, when he turned pro, it, there there was a, an injury, and he was thrust into the the breach. And, and he did not perform you know particularly well. I think his save percentage was in the 890s somewhere. And and at that point in time, I was I was not high on him as a player, even though I knew the organization liked him, and his size uh, was a big advantage. But in the in the calendar year twenty twenty one, Skinner was uh, almost every game doing something to improve where he was headed. He was he was brilliant uh, in the AHL. He had one start. Uh, in the NHL and then and then played in the AHL for the rest of the uh, 2021 season. And then the organization needed him earlier this year to come up and play in the NHL. And his first start wasn't great. His most recent one wasn't great. But in between, he's been excellent. And, like, I don't think he's going to be Andy Moog here uh, this year. But I do think there's a player. And, you know... I said I, I think he could be Laurent Brassois, but I also think he could be more. And th- there's not a lot about Skinner not to like. He is big. 
He does have calm feet. He's got a good glove. And so I've, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about goalies being hard to, to, um, you know, project my, my gift to the world of, of evaluating goalies is, is what I learned about pitchers when I spent about 20 years being obsessed with rotisserie baseball. And that is that if, if, a if a pitcher can stay healthy and learn how to get major league hitters out, even if he doesn't throw hard, he's probably going to have an NA, a major league baseball career. And I think the same thing is true of goaltenders. You know, they're always looking for a giant guy with a great glove hand and all of these things, and they're important. But if you can survive and you can work your way up, you can you can become an NHL goalie. But you have to stay healthy and you have to stop, stop enough uh, shots to, to remain a prospect. Skinner's done that. He's 23, and now in a year where the orders are, are just, I mean, man, they cannot find any goaltending luck at all. He's actually emerged as the guy uh, who I think probably has the brightest future in the group that's already in pro hockey right now. And so I, I think Skinner is, I'm going to say he's underrated, but I think he might be undervalued a little bit. And and at this point in time, I I can't name you an Oiler prospect goaltender in the history of the forty plus years they've had had the the team who they've drafted, developed, and had come to the NHL and played this well, who didn't go on to a, a career of note. And so, and there's not very many. There's like four or five. But Skinner has done enough for me to really project him as a guy the organization believes in, and I'd be shocked if he wasn't on the NHL team next fall. All right. And Rodrigue has just not done those things. Rodrigue to me is intriguing in that we haven't, you know, we've never really, goalies are funny. You, you, goalies, they say, well, he played this year in, in whatever league, but they don't play much. Right. So you're, you're sort of still back in, you know, he ended his junior career on such a, stunningly strong note he was absolute fire uh for the i think it was moncton moncton wildcats right at, at the end of the 2019 season 1920 and and i think that his his time in austria looked good but we don't really know about the austrian league he played a little bit last year in bakersfield and some in wichita but only two games and this year he's only played 10 games so I think with Rodrigue, he, he's the coaching staff has has sort of put him as a backup in all the time he's been in in North America playing in the, in the AHL, and and he's played as much as Konovalov this year, but Konovalov has performed better. So I think before we can really evaluate Rodrigue, he has to he has to earn his way to to a job where we see him enough. And I'm sure it's tough because his dad is the the goaltending coach there, but he he's not he he's not the top choice of the coaches, and that's sort of the only tell we have. Yeah, my I don't know how you can scout this, but my take on on assessing goalies and what makes the difference between um, goalies that make it and goalies that don't is is largely between the ears. Um, Goalies are going to let goals in. That's that's going to happen. And sometimes it's going to be 
not very pretty. And, and sometimes it's going to be their fault. Um, they screw up, you know, they, they pass the puck and it gets intercepted and boop, empty net. They go out to, uh, to intercept a pass that's dumped in and they don't time it right. They got a split second decision. They make the wrong call. And, and those can be crushing decisions to goalies. They can really rock their confidence. And I think the guys that make it are the ones that just kind of like, Oh, I'll stop the next one. And, you know, I, I see that with legendary goalies like Martin Brodeur. I, I remember a play in the playoffs where the other team just, just dumped it down the ice and it was a bouncer and he came out, you know, halfway to the blue line to play it. And I don't know what happened. He fell down or something like that, tripped over his stick and the puck bounced right past him, like right through him and, and into the net. It was just a terrible, terrible goal. And the defenseman came back to give him a, a, a you know, a tap on the, on the goalie pads, you know, kind of, Hey man, don't worry. We got this. We'll, we'll get that back. And they had a close up of, of Berger's reaction. He was laughing. He thought it was funny. He got over it immediately. I was like, holy, this is, and this was a playoff game, not a preseason, a playoff game. Crazy, eh? Yeah. You know, like millions of people are watching. You just shat the bed and you're over it already. And then he went on to, you know, finish the game, of course, in, in typical Martin Brodeur style where he was just lights out good. You know, that one little hiccup didn't phase him. So I think that if goalies can do that, if they have the mental toughness, to survive that position um, because, you know, the, the spotlight shines brightest on your mistakes when you're a goalie. Yeah, it's true. And, and you're not, you're not, uh, you're not going to stop them all. And you also have to understand that if you let in a, a, a soft goal, chances are in that game, you're going to stop four or five that are, you know, going to be considered to be outstanding chances. I remember Grant Fuhrer had the same sort of, uh, uh, of the game, yeah, he, he would just, you know, they, they'd uh, they'd say, Grant, you let in, a, you know, that one big goal, and he'd go, yeah, well, you know, I got a couple back or whatever, and very casual about it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, that they always say goalies need to have terrible memories, and I think that's probably wise. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you you see that with with goalies once once they make it, it's it's hard to kind of spot that at the development stage in their career. You know, if you can see that, you know, I see that in Carter Hart coming up, but, uh, you know, dominating at the junior and letting in a bad goal in junior doesn't have the same weight to it as, you know, letting in a bad goal at the NHL level when, you know, it's, it's on national television and it's in front of 20,000 people. That's, that's a lot more uh, pressure and anxiety and, you know, it's difficult on your, on your mental health. And that translates into your physical game. Um, okay. So that's the top 10 list for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I really want to thank uh, my guest, Al Mitchell. Uh, you probably know him better as low tide writer for the athletic and host of TSN 1260, uh, 10 to noon weekdays, uh, the lowdown show. Uh, Al, thanks so much for giving me your time and, and coming on and, and talking Oilers prospects. It's not the deepest pool, but they got some some pretty good players there. And uh, you know, it, it's uh, it is what it is. They're they're good, but not great. And uh, you know, I, I love your insight. You brought some really good uh, firsthand information on a lot of these players. So there's really good value for for the listeners for for this show. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Oh, no problem. And thanks. I appreciate it. Have me again. 
Uh, I will. All right. So that's a wrap on this episode, folks. Don't forget, get the uh, Dauber Hockey midseason guide. Uh, yesterday, I just released the Edmonton Oilers, or sorry, the Detroit Red Wings top 10 prospects. Uh, so I got the Florida Panthers in the queue. Just got to find me a, a guest for that episode. And I'll get that out as soon as uh, as soon as this one's done. All right, folks, thanks for listening and keep your stick on the ice.